0: It's my privilege to welcome Joel to come up tonight. He's going to bring God's word to us. While he's just coming up, why don't you just still your hearts and be ready to receive. There's no better thing for a preacher than to come into a room and know that people are ready to hear. So why don't you come still your hearts and Joel, take it away.
1: Thanks, Louie. Good to see you. Have you a good time? So uh, the program says that Steph Liston uh, was down to preach this evening uh, but I killed him and ate him, so uh, he can't make it. This, this week, you will hear from him, I promise, okay? So we just, we've just swapped things around. Steph will be up another night. You can cope with a few changes, I'm sure. Is that all right? You can do that. Yes? It just goes to show, don't trust everything you read, okay? Having said that, do trust everything you read here. Uh, so that's what the book we're turning to. Uh, we're going to be in the Old Testament the book of Samuel in the Old Testament, which is about David. David is one of the great heroes of the Bible. 12 to 14s you're hearing about David this week, right? Okay, so I'm giving you an extra story uh, from his life about somebody called... Wait for it. Okay, this is a quite a hard name to pronounce, so listen very carefully. <clears throat> 2 Samuel chapter 9 is where the story is found. If you want to turn there while we're getting our heads around this complicated name. The name is pronounced... Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, so can you please say that with me after three? One, two, three. Mephibosheth. Okay, I'm going to give you a chance to practice, I think the way we'll do that is we will, we will work on different syllables, it's got four syllables, okay, you know how to place your we're going to go with syllable number one. Okay, so emphasis on the first syllable, if you please. Are you ready? After three, one, two, three, Mephibosheth. That was rubbish. Okay, after three, one, two, three, Okay, that's better. Probably because I wasn't joining in. Okay, let's go with syllable number two. Are you ready? Emphasis on syllable number two, one, two, three, Mephibosheth. okay. I th- we'll, we'll decide on our favorite by the end of this. Syllable number three, are you ready? That means b, all right? Buh. So I want the whole room to get ready with your buh. Okay. One, two, three. Mephibosheth. Okay, okay. Are you ready for syllable number four? Ready for syllable number four? One, two, three. Mephibosheth. Excellent. Well done. I don't know how they pronounced it in the Bible. Uh, You can take your pick. We are going to read from 2 Samuel, the whole chapter of chapter 9. And I'm not going to read it to you. My friend Toby's going to read it to you. So let's listen and the words will come up on the screen as he's reading.
0: And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Zeba, And they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machiah, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then king David sent and brought him from the house of Machiah, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant? That you should show regard for a dead dog such as I. Then the king called Zeba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth your master's grandson shall always eat at my table now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants then Ziba said to the king according to all that my lord the king commands his servant so will your servant do so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons and Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Mekah and all who lived in Zeba's house became Mephibosheth's servants so Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he ate always at the king's table now he was lame in both his feet
1: Should we pray together? Father, we want to ask you now to send your Holy Spirit to open our eyes so that we can see wonderful things in your word, that we would understand your son Jesus better than we do now, and that you would change us on the inside, transform us so that our confidence in your love, your faithfulness, and the security of your grace, grows and we stand stronger than ever as a generation because of what you say to us through your word this evening we ask you for that in the name of Jesus amen amen well this is a story of a young man with a tragic story he he begins life as a royal family member he is grandson to king saul king saul the first king of Israel and his father was Jonathan and uh, he he looked as though he would have been destined for a special place in world affairs he would have been probably quite a happy person with a lot of security uh, with a lot of uh, friends a lot of reasons to be grateful and cheerful with his lot in life but something happens At the early stages of his life, that changes everything. It all happens in one day. Uh, His father and grandfather, Jonathan and Saul, were both killed on the same day in a battle. Fighting for Israel, they were both taken out on the same occasion. That in itself is obviously a, a horrifying thing to happen in the life of Mephibosheth anyway. But the story gets worse And that is actually told to us a few pages earlier in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, when it describes how the news reached the house where Mephibosheth was staying. It says, 2 Samuel 4, verse 4 Jonathan the son of Saul had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame and his name was Mephibosheth. He, he'd been uh, deprived of his dad and his grandfather in a horrible, violent day, and then he lost the use of his feet so that he was effectively lame for life. This is a, a story of a tragic person. To add to his misery, Mephibosheth now has to grow up in hiding because the, the, the time that we're talking about in the Bible is a lot more... Game of Thrones than it is, you know, modern politics. It's it's a time when if you uh, were on the wrong side of politics, for example, if your family went out of favor and there was a new king from a new family on the throne, you would be in serious danger because any clever politician, any clever king who wanted to retain his control of the realm would protect his authority by rounding up any members of the previous royal family and having them killed. It was just common sense. It was normal. It sounds horrific, but it would have been the normal way in which we people would have felt safe. It would have been seen as a prudent thing to do. Well, that's clever. You're just keeping control. You've got to wipe out people that might be a threat. Because if anybody in the kingdom knows that there's still someone left from the previous king's family alive, that person is always going to be a possible center for a rebellion. Because people who don't like King David could gather around the grandson of King Saul, and we all loved King Saul. Let's gather around his grandson because he's got real royal blood and we never really liked this new king, David, anyway. Let's, let's get around Mephibosheth, the grandson of Saul. This, this was a dangerous life that he was entering into now. He's, he is caught up in the previous realm, the previous king, and it puts his life in serious jeopardy. So he's hidden away. Not many people even know that he's alive. David has to search for him. When it comes to this chapter of the Bible. Because he's literally. Frightened for his life. So everything about this man's life. Has become tragic. He's, he's growing up in a tragic world. He's lost his security. He's lost the comforts that he once knew. You could say he's lost his childhood. In other words. Something happened to him when he was very young. That meant that he had to grow up. Really fast. He had to grow up in one day, and his childhood, his innocence, his his freedom time, his joyful time was stolen away from him by cruel circumstances. And then he grows up in a world which is hostile, which is unsafe, which is uncomfortable, and it's a world that has the face of David. David. I can imagine he would have grown up with the name David being used negatively in the household. You know, His his, his housemaids or the people that that ran the house using the word David spitefully. Because we don't like the king. We don't like this new king and this new king David. He's the reason that you're hidden away, Mephibosheth. He's the reason that life is so difficult for you. He would have spent his life hating the very memory. Hating the name of David. But then of course we get to this point in his life... When he is suddenly, unexpectedly perhaps, summoned to the king's palace. David himself wants to see him. And this would have been a day that Mephibosheth probably would have dreaded all his life. He would have been thinking, what, what is going to happen if I get found out? What's going to happen if there's, there's a knock on the door, there's some messengers who come, and they finally summon me? I've got to go and see the king. Mephibosheth's life is filled with trouble but I want to talk to you especially about the fact that it is a life filled with shame. See, it's a difficult thing for anybody to lose the use of their limbs, to, to, to grow up uh, with a disability caused by an accident. To have all these misfortunes I've described to you is bad enough in any age. But we're talking about a society where that would have also caused people a sense of shame to feel that you've been stricken, to feel that your, your life isn't quite right, you can't walk straight, you can't stand straight. It's tough at any time, but as I said, this is a time when that would have carried as well a sense of shame. People would have felt humiliated by it, embarrassed by it, especially so. Maybe even a sense that, you know, God has done this to me. God is against me. I'm I'm being punished for something perhaps, there's there's, there's something in my life that I'm being paid back for and that's why all this has taken place, he carries shame through his life. Now shame is an ancient problem, shame has been around for thousands of years but, but we need to understand that shame is a modern problem, it's a now problem as well. We, we won't be strangers to shame. As long as we're human beings, we'll, we'll have some awareness at least of what shame is. Even if we don't carry it around to the same extent that this man does, we will feel its effects from time to time. It's, it's perhaps a little bit hard to describe really what shame is. It might be easier to, to kind of describe some of the things that characterize it. I think shame brings with it a kind of a, often a sense of dirtiness, what, what we might call defilement, corruption, like there's something that we just, we just kind of feel stains on our conscience, stains on our soul, not necessarily physical stains, or it might be associated with something physical, but, but definitely inside, we just kind of feel dirty about something. And that can be because of something that we've done. That we feel specifically guilty about. Or it might be nothing to do with something we've done. It may be something that people have done to us. Or something that people have said to us. Or said to us repeatedly. Even from an early age. Things that have been said to us strongly by somebody. Can so connect with our soul. Can get into our heart. Get under our skin. To the point where we can't even feel that we're free from it. It feels like this thing is just on me. I can't get rid of it. I feel shame. I feel this kind of filth, and I don't know how to get free from it. And then there's a couple of other characteristics. One of them would be a sense of exclusion, rejection, feeling like you're not really accepted, feeling like you you can't really be part of the crowd, can't be allowed in. You're just kind of not at home As much as you would wish to be. You long to be allowed in. a long to be accepted. a long to be respected and received. Especially by the people that you really respect. And really receive yourself. But there's a deep sense that you never ever will be. And it can can dominate you. It can feel as though that controls you. That sense that I'll I'll never really be able to know that I'm one with the people that I love. I'm never going to be accepted. I'm never going to be truly at home in this world. And then thirdly and finally, shame carries with it a weird sense of, you could call it vulnerability, or you could just call it nakedness. Just a feeling like you're just not prepared. You're not really, you're not really covered up properly. It's like, and it's almost as though you just know that, you, or you feel that you know, that everybody is watching you, staring at you. Maybe even a, a slight sense that, you you don't really want them to know truly who you are. And you, you feel like you want to cover up. You really wish that nobody knew. You don't even really like what you know about yourself. There are things inside that you hate. You get cross with yourself. You find yourself attacking yourself. It's like you hear a voice in your head, constant attack against you. And you think, I'm talking to myself. But it seems like it's almost someone else's voice. And then you realize it's other people, or you feel like it's other people as well. I'm being stared at, I'm just, I don't fit, I'm, I'm kind of excluded, I'm kind of stared at. It's a weird mixture, feeling like people want to avoid you. and yet yeah, At the same time, people, people really want to stare as well, they want to make you an object, and, and it's like the worst of both worlds. Shame is a... is a a many many sided thing and it has a huge impact on lives It's, it's not gone away it's something that human beings have struggled with from the beginning and this man is an example of it he feels ashamed because of the things that have happened to him he also feels terribly ashamed because of the association of his family Mephibosheth belongs to the wrong family he belongs to Saul's family he is in danger he can't get rid of the fact that he belongs to Saul now if you know anything about Saul Saul from the Old Testament, you'll know that he was not a good man, he was a bad man in many ways. And so for Mishibosheth even to grow up in his household would have probably meant there was quite a lot of fear and shame that was put on him. He probably felt a lot of the bad effects of living in a tough, difficult family in many different ways. So this is a guy with all kinds of problems associated with shame, that he's just grown up in. And I'm trying to describe to you some of the features of shame, because I want to ask you to question yourself while I'm talking, is this something that you know anything about? Is it something that you can relate to? Do you feel like you know anything about what Mephibosheth would have gone through? I think the answer for many, if not most of us, would be, yeah, at least a little bit. At least a little bit. We know what it's like to carry these kind of characteristics of shame, to be affected by it. Truth is that you can feel shame because of all the things I've already said, things that you've done. There's, there's a huge temptation for us to go through life feeling like you're going to get found out any day, just like this guy would have grown up thinking that any day the, the door's going to knock and I'm going to be, I am going to be summoned to the king. And comes the day when David says, oh, I want to see Mephibosheth. I, honestly, I can imagine a I mean, that was not a summons. As far as he was concerned, he was not expecting to go to the royal palace and have the king say, you know, come around, we'll, we'll play with my train set, and you can have a cake and a balloon and go home. He, he is not expecting it to go well. He's expecting to be ushered to the chopping block and put to death. He's feared this all his life. I reckon that for, for many of us, that's, that's how we live in relationship to a lot of things. We fear the day when people are going to find out what we're really like. When we're going to be found out for who we really are. Things that we've been hiding. Things that we wish people didn't know or wish that we didn't know. Things that We don't want people to know what we were really like younger, what we've really been like at school, what we've really got up to. We, we don't really want people to know us and we're frightened of the time when we get summoned. It's like you know the, the time when you get called to the headmaster's office. It's like, I, I don't really want that. To, I don't want to be seen. I want to be hidden away. Shame. It's, it's, it's right here and it's right here in many of our lives. It seems to characterize our lives. But it, it, the thing is, it can be even deeper than that. All the things I've said can, can cause shame to come about. But there's a problem even beyond that. And that is, as I said, what Mephibosheth belongs to is the house of Saul. He belongs to the wrong family. He belongs to the family of the previous king. And now there's this new king, David, the great David, the the wonderful, godly, humble, gracious, kind king, David, who defeated Goliath and writes loads of wonderful songs. And this is the majestic king, David. He's on the throne, and I belong to Saul's family. Maybe some of us literally know what it's like to feel associated, even by blood, to someone that you think, I I belong to a family that makes me feel a little bit ashamed. That's definitely his story, but here's the thing that might have not occurred to you. It's actually everybody's story. Everybody in history, every human being except one, has belonged to the family of Adam. Every one of us has come into the world as part of a fallen, messed up family. Even the most high achievers, even the people that you would look at and think, what on earth would he or she have to be ashamed about? Why would that celebrity, why would that billionaire, why would that artist, why would that incredible sportsman or sportswoman ever feel ashamed But if they're a son of Adam, then I'm afraid it's inherent at a deeper level than they would even understand. The sense of shame is that deep. It's in our family tree. It's in our blood. Because of what we belong to, we belong to the family of Adam. Adam, who at the very beginning of the human story turned from God, rejected God, tried to replace God. And that's our family. We belong to him. And this is a huge problem for us, guys, because we will try to deal with our sense of shame. We will, we'll try anything. We'll try self-improvement. We'll, we'll try personal development. We'll go on courses. We'll start seminars. We'll get paperbacks from Waterstones. We'll, we'll do anything we can. We'll look, we'll look on YouTube videos. We'll, we'll revise incredibly hard for our GCSEs. We'll work incredibly hard to impress those people in our school or our parents, in order for them to be able to affirm us and somehow free us from this dangerous sense of shame that seems to corrupt us and creep in underneath us. Or we won't, we won't bother with the academic way of demonstrating our worth. We won't, we won't try and show it through our grades, our, our results. We'll try and show it through whatever means we can. The people that we want to be accepted by, whether that's at school or in any other association or part of any community or club that you want to be in, where you can demonstrate that you're worth something, that you're valuable, that you're not going to live in shame, you're going to be free from shame. I've got to find a way to do this. And we'll do anything we can to get this problem out from under our skin. It doesn't seem to happen, though. However much we try to improve our self-esteem, it's a little bit trying to, like trying to climb out of a deep ocean on a rope ladder made of water. You can't, it's just impossible to deal with it. You're scrabbling around for a solution that isn't there because the thing you can't change is your family tree. You can't change who you belong to. You can't change your background, your history, your legacy. You may be able to change all kinds of things, but there'll always be this problem deep down. I belong to Adam. Deep down, that actually is your deepest issue. Deeper than any of the things on the surface, the things you've done in this life and the things that have been done to you, really, guys, they are only symptoms of the deeper problem that we belong in a broken, shameful, fallen humanity. We are children of Adam. And Mephibosheth knows exactly how that is because he's a child of Saul. He belongs to the previous kingdom. And it is. Gives him a terrible sense of fear, a terrible sense of loneliness, a sense of, of of dirtiness, exclusion, and even nakedness. And the fear of being discovered for who he really is must have gripped him. And of course the day comes, as I've been describing, where it finally happens. You can see in verse 6 how he responds. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David. And fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, he falls on his face. He's terrified. He's aware of the dangerous situation he's in. I know people, friends of mine, who, who, who have lived with a problem for years. They haven't even been able to talk about it until recently. One of my friends said to me recently, he's lived for years and years with a deep sense of fear that he will one day be found out for who he really is. It's crippled him. It's caused him to make the wrong decisions. It's caused him to act like a coward. It's given him a a sense of emotional lameness. He's been spiritually crippled. He hasn't been able to stand up strong as a human being inside. Because of shame, because of its power. And he's this man going to David, falling on his face. What can I expect from this king? What might he do with me, with this son of Saul? Of course, this is the turning point of the story because what we see here is David behaving in a revolutionary way. What we see here is what King David is made of. He is different than any other king. The only king that he is really reminding me of in this story is his great, 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 I can't remember about 25 greats, grandson, King Jesus. That's precisely who he's behaving like in this story. Look at what he says to Mephibosheth in verse 7. David said to him, do not fear for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father and you shall eat at my table always and he paid homage and said what is your servant we'll get to verse 8 in a sec don't be afraid he says this is an astonishing story this is a So surprising for this man. What would he have been expecting? Well, I've already told you what would have been the normal thing. He would have been expected to get killed. But even the first verse of the story, did you remember what it says at the very beginning? David said, chapter 9, verse 1, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, this is weird. Is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I can find and kill to protect myself? Is there anyone left that I can show the blade to? No, is there anyone left that I can show kindness to? This is what David is like at heart. This is David at his very best. This is why Jesus is called the son of David. Because the one that we come to wondering what's he going to say, if, if I hate the stuff inside me and I I don't want anyone else to know the stuff inside me. What's it like approaching the one who is so holy that his eyes shine brighter than the sun? How does that work? What can I expect from him? Mephibosheth falls on his face and well might he. Of course, we would do exactly the same if we were wise. But we come to a son of David who treats us so different than we might expect the reason he does it is worth noticing did you notice the way he describes his intention he says who can I show kindness to for Jonathan's sake now I can't tell you the whole story here but, but basically Mephibosheth's dad Jonathan was David's best friend they were deeply close friends they were truly dear friends when Jonathan died David mourned and wrote a powerful song describing how gripped he was with grief. David loved Jonathan so much that it says in 1 Samuel chapter 20, he and Jonathan made a covenant together. They committed to each other and they said, even if one of us dies, even if on the battlefield one of our lives is taken, let's promise each other that the other one will look after the family of the one who's died. Now, at this point, you know, when, when you've become king at last, and you've spent your life on the run from Jonathan's family, you might be tempted at least to slightly rethink some of the commitments you made. Oh yeah, I, I know I made that commitment to Jonathan. I know, I know that at a moment of deep emotion at a conference in Norfolk, we, we had this real moment. Where we were close, we were tight, and we felt like, you know, let's make each other real promises that we're going to stay close as dear friends together. But, you know, that was a long time. We were young. We were emotional. It was hype. It perhaps would have been easy for David to just forget about the whole thing. But that's just not his way. You see, what David is showing in this story is what the Bible calls covenant love. Covenant love. One of the best ways we can understand what covenant love is, is actually at a wedding. See, at a wedding, when the, the, the minister or the priest or whoever asks the couple the questions, you may have noticed the words that get used. Will you love this woman? What he doesn't say is, do you love this woman? Because that would be a little bit too easy. <laughs> do you love this woman? Oh, well, yeah! She looks so hot. Of course, I do. I mean, well, you know, this, that's an easy question, but that's not the question. The question is, will you? And that's the difference. That's covenant love. It's not just the momentary feeling, it's the sense of commitment, bond. I promise through all circumstances, sickness or, or health, richer for poorer, until death do us part, we are connected. There's a covenant. David remembered his covenant to Jonathan. He remembered it, and for the sake of his covenant to Jonathan, he lavishes love on the one who is linked with Jonathan. Even at the risk of his own power. You see, David is here on some levels of interpretation being a bit stupid. Some people would think, David, that's just a stupid. Why would you keep Mephibosheth alive? Of all the things to do, of all the people's lives to preserve. Not only are you allowing him to live, you're 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 putting him in your palace. You're protecting him. This is dangerous, but David is prepared to take the risk because for David covenant faithfulness comes before personal safety. And if that reminds me of anybody, again it reminds me of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. What's happening here is David is showing covenant faithfulness for the sake of the one he loved. And the Bible teaches us that God will gladly receive, forgive, and honor people who otherwise would be filled with shame, not because of anything that they've achieved, anything that they do, but because they are in Christ because of whom they belong to because he belongs to Jonathan David lavishes Mephibosheth with love God the father looks down on ordinary failures like us people with shame in our lives people with dirt in our lives people with a sense of vulnerability in our lives people that have things that we don't want people to know big gaps, big skeletons in our cupboard, things that we want to keep safe and secret, stuff that we just feel so messed up about, stuff that we've done, stuff that other people have done to us and we still feel it. And he covers us with honor. Why? Because we are in Jesus Christ, the greater Jonathan. It's a story of incredible power to overcome even shame but here's the thing that struck me when I, I, I looked at this story recently and it's what happens next it's what Mephibosheth says back to him in verse 8 he paid homage and said what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I for a dead dog that's how he, he describes himself in this story what, why are you doing this David why are you showing me this kindness? Don't you know who I really am? See, you can, you can start to believe in Jesus Christ. You can come to a new day. You can start going to church. You can start to listen to the Bible being taught in sermons like this one and, and even begin to believe the message. You can start to decide in your heart that you're going to follow Jesus You can even believe it when people say, you know, God loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus even forgives you for your sin. You can actually believe all of the above. Everything I've just said and genuinely still quite deeply believe what I really am is just a dead dog. Okay, okay, I I, I get it. I get the idea. God loves me. He forgives me. I'm, you know, I'm a Christian, and you know, blah blah blah. Yeah, all right. Yeah, we're, we're forgiven, and it's all good. And I, yeah, okay. Whew, let's be honest. I'm, on the side, I'm a dead dog on the inside. That's really what I am, because really, what I belong to is Adam. I'm still who I really used to be. I, I'm nothing's really changing. I'm, I'm still a dead dog. And that can be the way we think. That can be the way we talk to ourselves. That can, that can be the the tape that plays in our head constantly. In fact, I I think it is the tape that plays in many of our heads pretty much all the time. Even though you may have been a Christian for years, you may have been going to church for you, you may have trusted that Jesus will forgive you for your sin and let you into heaven, but really he's letting into heaven a dead dog. And he's a bit daft for letting me get away with it. He's obviously not looking. That's how he sees it. I'm a dead dog. And here, I I, I want to finish... With an with a observation that blows my mind. Now, I hope it will help you as well. I was thinking about that phrase. You know, Mephibosheth's quite graphic. That's quite strong language. In the Bible, dogs aren't necessarily, you know, people don't have dogs as pets. There aren't any poodles in the Bible. Mephibosheth res- refers to himself in a negative way here. And I was thinking, where else have I heard that phrase? Where, where, why does that sound familiar? I'm just a dead dog. And here's the thing it's actually the phrase that David himself used once. When Mephibosheth's granddad was persecuting him, when Saul was chasing David around the desert trying to get him whacked, there was a time when David shouted at King Saul from across a valley and said, Why are you chasing a dead dog? Why are you coming after me? All I am is a dead dog. David himself got to that point of deep hatred of himself. Deep sense of just feeling wasted. Feeling worthless. Feeling loathed. Feeling pointless. Covered in shame. Out in the desert. Just a dead dog. I find it fascinating he uses the same phrase. And I think there's a point to this. You see... Mephibosheth comes into the palace of King David. Now don't forget, King David is the greatest warrior, greatest songwriter that Israel has ever known, and now he's the king. He is the most freakishly gifted person that Mephibosheth will ever meet. He's loved, he's trusted, he's in charge. And Mephibosheth is covered in shame. For all kinds of reasons, physical, emotional spiritual, he carries so much baggage and David is saying to him I'm going to honour you, I'm going to bless you I can imagine just saying yeah 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 right yeah," but you don't know me you don't really know me I think our problem often isn't that we doubt that God loves us I think our problem is is actually that we we don't think he really knows us we don't think he really wants to. I'm pretty sure that if he did, he would stop liking us. I'm just a dead dog. But David knows more than Mephibosheth thinks. David himself knows what it's like to be under the power of Saul. To be affected by living under Adam's... To living in the wrong, under the realm of this old wicked king. David knows the feeling. He's touched with the same weakness. He feels it. He's experienced it. He's been there. I can imagine Mephibosheth thinking, you could tell me you love me, but you don't really know what it's like to be me. And I totally understand that. Do you know, you know how that feels, don't you? You know when someone's telling you that I've just come to love you... I'm here to love you. Yeah, Christians can be very good at this, you know. Hello, poor people. We've come to love you. Could you move out the way, please? We're here to uh, show you our love. And it's like, could you, you know, (laughs) come back another time? Because we're not feeling very loved. It's very hard to be loved by people that don't really want to know you. They don't have any understanding. They've never really walked in your shoes. They don't understand what it's like under your skin. They don't really get it. This is the extraordinary thing about the God of the Bible, friends, and I want you to understand this, every single one of you. The God of the Bible knows what it's like to be you, He knows it. He knows it from experience. He became one of us, He became human. He walked our roads, He felt our pressures, He cried with us, He laughed with us, He felt pain with us, He felt hungry, He felt thirsty, He felt tired, He felt tempted, He felt weak, He felt harassed, He felt pressure, He felt stress. He understands all of the things that we feel. He knows what it's like to be treated as rubbish, to be pushed to one side, to be mocked and jeered at. He knows what it's like to be picked last in the team. He knows what it's like to be an an object, an object of fun. He knows what it's like to feel both stared at and avoided at the same time was ever a man in history more stared at and avoided than Jesus Christ who suffered naked on the cross carrying our shame he actually felt it he felt every time friends every single time you dear people feel a sense of shame a sense of weakness a sense of just not being good enough since I just can't do it I just can't stop being a child of Adam I'm never going to be good enough and the feeling that nobody really knows how you feel maybe that's one of the hardest things of all some of you know exactly what I mean not everybody maybe but some of you you kind of have a loneliness that comes with shame like no one really knows what it's like to be me Nobody really gets me. God became flesh. God became human. God's walked your road. There's a place in the New Testament that describes this in incredible power. Hebrews chapter four, and verses fourteen to sixteen. Some of you will know these words. Let me read them to you, though. Hebrews chapter four, verses fourteen to sixteen. He says this, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. Do you get that? We do not have a high priest. Our Jesus, the one who is before God the Father, this one, this Jesus, this King, this David, he knows exactly how it feels to feel like a dead dog some of us the issue isn't like well, okay it's good that Jesus was tempted but he never sinned so he doesn't feel ashamed of anything he doesn't know what it's like to feel stinking inside to feel covered, to feel dirty because he never got into the dirt he never felt it and again you're wrong because the Bible says 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God so it's because of what he's done it's because Jesus Christ our priest has actually inhabited our life he knows it from the inside he knows the experiences he knows the fears he knows the, the sense of shame that you've carried from experience he's able like nobody else to honour you affirm you he knows you, who you as you are And he can speak words of kindness, affirmation. He can sit you at his table. He can tell you that you don't even belong to Adam anymore. This is the incredible thing, guys. I want you to get this. You know, I said earlier, the problem, the deep problem, the problem that's underneath all the other problems... The stuff we've done, the stuff that happened to us, all the things that make us feel ashamed. You might even be able to deal with all of those, but you can't change the fact that you are in Adam. I can't change the fact I belong to the wrong family. It's what I was born into. This is why Jesus became a man, to start a new Humanity, a new family. And on the day that you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit plucked you out of the family tree of dead, dying, corrupt, wicked, shameful Adam and placed you into the perfect kingdom and family of the beautiful Son, Jesus Christ. That is where you belong. And no one can pluck you from his hand. No one can take you from there. If you could be condemned, then so could Jesus. You're just as secure as he is. You're just as affirmed as he is. You are in the royal family. You're in the palace of the king. You can sit at his table and know such love and such security. Friends, this is massive. Because if in our lives we're able to fight against the power of shame and learn to stand free and strong in the truth of what God has done for us we become like David we become able to find other Mephibosheths in our society and help bring them through to the the joy and the freedom that they need to know all around you in your schools in your streets in your towns there are Mephibosheths everywhere people born in Adam carrying shame God the Father has sent His Son and sent you with the Holy Spirit's power to help restore them, just like David brought Mephibosheth into his home. But before anything like that happens, many of us need to learn to be strengthened in the truth of the gospel. You can get it through a message like this, but we also need the Holy Spirit to stir it in our hearts, to seal it in us and to make us strong in it on the inside. We're going to worship God to help us to do that. Why don't we stand together as the musicians lead us? Let's draw near to God wholeheartedly. Let's expect to meet with him as we do that.